This morning I want to preach again another message from the first epistle of 1 John, or the first epistle of John. And I've simply entitled it, Walk in the Light. If you want a title, it's God's Message of Light and Fellowship. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. 1 John is a one of my favorite books. I know I say that about every book that I preach from, I guess, but it is. It is to God's family. I would like you to remember that this book is addressed to the little children, to those who are God's children. It really is not addressed to sinners. And because that is not clearly understood sometimes, people will try to apply some of what 1 John says to people who are not saved. And they get confused concerning the way that this should be preached. The 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth, or we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Father, we thank you for your precious word this morning. We pray that you would send it out through the medium of my voice and through this tape to accomplish what you would in our hearts and minds. Forgive us of our sins and shortcomings. Open our hearts and minds to what you have for us in this, these scriptures. Bless us and strengthen us. Feed us spiritually for Jesus Christ. And enable us, Heavenly Father, to be better servants for you, to better understand you. We might know you in the fullness that we desire. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the greatest possible thing that can happen, I'm sure you know, to a human being, to any human being, is to be brought into fellowship with God, who is the creator and the source of a person's being. Today, there are many people who do not believe in God. There are many people who say, well, I believe in a, a source, an energy source, a creative source somewhere. Well, there is. God is the creative source. If you've been looking in the newspaper, you've noticed now two articles in the Columbus Dispatch over the past week. I read an article in the AARP. I'm old enough belong to the Associated the Retired Persons that in their magazine, they had an interview with a physicist. And he said, we must find the God element. Now, he's not talking about God. He's talking about something out in space that will explain the bringing together of everything the way it is today. Well, the Columbus Dispatch carried two. Number one, they found an enzyme. That, what is it, 100 million light years away? How they found that, I didn't read all the article because it irritated me. But anyway, they found a particular enzyme. Then in another mist, someplace else, many, many light years away, is something else necessary to life. And so it's coming. Before long, evolutionists will tell us that they have found all of the elements and how they came together, and they exploded and brought about all that you see today. 
In my book, you have to have a lot more faith to believe evolution than you do what the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us from the scripture. At any rate, the knowledge of God is eternal life. Think of those who do not have that. Now, how do I know the knowledge of God is eternal life? Because John 17, the Gospel of John, and verse 3 says this, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This is life eternal, that they might know thee. And so that is eternal life. An unhindered fellowship with God is essential to a believer's peace and happiness and usefulness in God's service. Many feel this passage of scripture that we're dealing with today is dealing with salvation and a depraved man's sin. But that's not so. That isn't what 1 John 1, 9 is talking about. It's talking about confessing our sin. And we'll show you when we get into these verses that we are continually cleansed from sin as to salvation. Our position is the same as every Christian believer in the family of God throughout the world. We all have been accepted in the beloved. We all are God's children. Salvation is secure, but we have some things that we need to look at here that God is telling us. So we would tell you that believers only are in view here, and the sins spoken of here are the sins of God's children and not sin in general that overcomes the world. For God has paid the price of his children's sin as to salvation once and for all. You know, every Sunday morning, every Saturday night, every time the Mass is given, the Christ is re-offered for the sins of those who are there listening to the Mass. Had we time this morning, I could open the Mass to you and tell you exactly what it says. I've quoted before from Catholic writings by the priests who say from time to time it's their privilege to offer up afresh and anew the Lord Jesus Christ for the sins of the people and so on. We don't need that because it's been done once and for all. In the little, well, it's not such a little book, but in Paul's book to the Hebrews in chapter 9 and verse 24, 5, and 6, we're told this, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the Greek, says the copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself again as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world or the age hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then you can look over at First Peter, and First Peter tells us there in 3 and verse 18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins. He's the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And so with those thoughts in mind, let us examine God's message of light, fellowship, and its conditions, or its maintenance, if you will, in these verses. I want you to notice in verse 5, the light of the world. This is the message that God always gives. It's always what he sends forth. He is light. That is, he is clarity and understanding. It's his nature. The Greek says phos, where we get phosphorescent, like phosphorescent lighting, the, the bright light that that phosphorus brings about. So he is clarity and understanding. 
He emanates, he manifests light from himself. And this light is evident in and through God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the giver of life. And that's what he's telling us here in 1 John. Jesus reflected the glory of God, of the Godhead, when he was here upon the face of the earth. Not everyone could see that. Jesus purposely spoke in parables so that many would not understand and be turned from their way. It's only known to God why that is. I cannot explain to you other than the Gentiles had to be brought in. That was part of the plan in order to do that. But in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6 we're told, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There you have it. He commanded light to shine out of darkness. He is light. And he emanates that light into us, and consequently, we'll find that we are light as well. In turn, we reflect him, and we're lights to those about us, whether they perceive it and accept it or not, we're lights in the way that we live and behave ourselves and the things that we say and the places we go and, and the things that we do. Matthew 5.14 says, you're the light of the world. Consequently, we are. Our conduct is to be as children of light. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that in many places. Ephesians is one of my favorites for that. And Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Ephesians. Well, I do want to look at Ephesians too, so let's look at it. Ephesians 5 and verse 8. Perhaps that's just as well that we look at that. For ye were sometimes, or once, really the Greek says. For ye were once darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Once we were darkness. Why? Because of constant temptations and solicitations to do evil that are around us all the time, believers must always be proving or discerning what is and what is not the acceptable unto the Lord. In our day and time, we have the church, we have part of the family of God, professing family of God that have gone crazy. Today it's all right to drink and get drunk. They have the preachers drinking it and as a habitual way of life. Today we have, and I've forgotten, I've quoted the amount to you, and I've forgotten how much of the clergy, quote-unquote, are alcoholics. It can get a hold of us. Today we have gays and others pastoring churches and preaching things that God has not said that we should preach. Now we all have weaknesses. God is able to deliver us. But we're talking about out-and-out out habitual way of life. We're talking about gays that continually do the things that God has told them not to do. And they say it's all right. Today God says it's all right. Not so. Well, today it's all right to do all of the things that once were wrong uh, for all the single mothers and for all the fathers who fathered with two or three or four mothers. That's the way things are these days and welfare just takes care of it. And that's all against what God tells us needs to be done. But we're in a day and time when that's all acceptable today. Nine times out of ten when you see a marriage license in the paper you'll find that the address is the same for both those that are going to be married. They live together. Have been sometimes for a long time. I had a lady tell me she didn't know that I was a minister and she was a therapist. And one day because she got a wedding invitation to a wedding where I was presiding she said to me, she said, I didn't know that you were a minister. She said, I'm getting married one of these days. Yes, I've lived with my Boyfriend, I've forgotten now how many years, several years. She said, we're living in open sin, but we need to change that. And you know, that isn't what she says to other people, but that's what she says to me, because she knows that I would feel that way. 
We're in a day and time when everything is not as it ought to be. And you and I need to live so that we prove what is that right and what is acceptable with God and what is not. Our attitude. Well, I can find it right here in Philippians. Let me turn over to it so I don't misquote it. I'm ready to go back to my old Bible. I like it better. I can find all the things I want in a hurry when I can't think of what I want. Philippians 2. Fourteen and fifteen, that's what I want. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. What do we mean by that? We mean do all things without grumbling and disputings. You know how the kids sometimes say, I want you to pick up your room today. I don't want to pick it up today. Let's let it Ah, tomorrow. I will tomorrow. I will tomorrow because I want to go here today and I want to do this or that. That's grumblings and disputings and so on. Well, for adult Christians, it tells us, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine, there it is again, as lights in the world. There are some people who will just naturally do the things that they're supposed to do, without grumbling and so on. That would be like me saying, if I didn't live that way, Joan would say, it's about time to go to church. Aren't you going to preach today? Oh, I don't know. How about tomorrow or the next night or... Wouldn't work too well, would it? You all would probably do something to me if I didn't show up and do what I'm supposed to do. Well, we're to do that, and then we need to turn on over and uh, look at 2 and 16. You, you, maybe you don't have to turn the page, I do. Holding forth the word of life that I'm that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. What's he talking about? He's telling them to do that and holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. It's the same for me. Keep on running the race. Keep on doing what you're doing. And so if the Lord takes me before he does you or whatever time we all get to heaven, whenever that may be, then I'll be able to rejoice because you're there. And I'll say, well, there's so-and-so and there's so-and-so. They ran the race and they kept on and they they walked as children of light, and they did all these things, and now I'm rejoicing in that. And so is Paul. Can you imagine how many people Paul preached to in his lifetime, and yet the fairly small number of those that he has met on the other side, perhaps some of them he didn't know, some of them he did. At any rate, we are to watch and have self-control of ourselves. How do I know that? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5 5 and 6. Ye are the children of light. Or sons, really, is what it says in the Greek. Ye are the sons of light. And the sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be self-controlled, is what sober means in that Greek. It's in our text. Now, our light our radiance will be visible to all about us for wisdom and guidance is of God and consequently he will be able to use us as he pleases. What's Daniel 12 and 3 say? And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. 
Now notice in verses 6 and 7, the light of fellowship. Men may say that they have fellowship with God, but their walk will tell the truth of whether they do or not. And only if we have fellowship with him can we have continual cleansing from sin and fellowship with other Christians. There are two manifest conditions of a right relationship with God. Number one, our daily walk. That's the first manifestation. And number two, with whom we have fellowship. You know, sometimes it's difficult when we're saved and we change and we think, well, what about my friends? Now, I have friends sometimes, out of respect for me, they don't use the language that they should. Should not, I should say. But sometimes they do. And there are other folks that I come into contact with, that I work with, that I like, and so on, and, and they sometimes do and say things they shouldn't. Well, you and I need to be careful in the way that we have fellowship and in what we do with whom we have fellowship. We need to be careful that we don't fall into their ways. Our daily walk is the first and with whom we have fellowship. Now, there's not anybody, there are people that are hard to like sometimes, but there's not anybody that I don't have compassion for. And consequently, you might find me eating dinner. That's what a lady told me here a while back. I didn't mean to say a lady, a person, but now that you know it's a lady, you might as well know it's a lady. She said to me, you know what? She said, you have never tried to change me. She said, I know I'm bad. Well, she's not. She is in God's sight, but she's not as bad as what she thinks she is. But she says, you've never tried to change me. Now, you told me things about the Bible and about God and what has to happen and all. But you've never just physically tried to change me. And she said, I see you eat with people that are bad people. I said, well, what do you mean bad people? Well, they're people that aren't Christians. Well, that's true. If I sit down to eat at the cafeteria or whatever, and sometimes people come over and sit down with me, or if I'm by myself and there's an opening and there's people I know, I sit down with them. Jesus did the same thing. And people said, oh, look at that. He's eating with, with publicans and sinners. He's eating with tax collectors. Now, tax collectors were a lot more hated than they are today. A tax collector was a rotten person. You didn't want anything to do with it. You hoped daily that they would drop dead and all that kind of thing. But today, they're just a little bit different. Well, maybe some of them might be the same way, but they're close. Jesus did that, and people criticized him for it. But we must have fellowship with him and have continual cleansing from sin. Now, what do we mean by continual cleansing? The scripture tells us here in 1 John, right there at the end of verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In the Greek, it's progressive tense. It means continually cleanses us from all sin. It has to do with our position with the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that we are saved people and that he continues, we continue in that state because of his shed blood. Now, I want you to notice in verse 6, false profession is reflected in the professor's walk or conduct. No matter what one may say with his lips, his continual habitual conduct reflects the truth. And if he's a professor, he's in trouble, or she. Multitudes of people profess to know God today, and yet they are like those that Titus speaks of in 1 and verse 16. They profess that they know him, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work, reprobate. What does that word reprobate mean? It means disqualified in the Greek. Reprobate. One disqualified from that position. All right.
right? Multitudes profess that. Abominable, horrible, revolting, and so on. And these multitudes are in spiritual darkness, and their capacity to understand is evil only, and they're continually in darkness, God tells us. Back in Matthew 6 and verse 23. But if thine eye be evil, and again we could slightly correct that, unhealthy really is what the Greek says. But if thine eye be evil or unhealthy, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? And here's multitudes of people today that are in darkness, but they think they have light. They're teaching one day, the Mormon church says you'll become gods. Things on the other side will be like they were here, except that you'll have celestial palaces and a celestial place to live. And they say that's light and that's truth. And Joseph Smith was given that by the angel Moroni. I don't believe it. I believe God's word. There are others who say, well, you can understand the Bible, but you need the interpretation of brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, doctor so-and-so. You need these works and so on, so on, so on. You need nothing but the anointing that's within you, the Holy Spirit of God. God sends a sound teacher or preacher to teach you and so on and to preach to you, but you have the Holy Spirit and you, through the Holy Spirit, can discover as you read and as you study the things that God wants you to know as well. But these will go on, not knowing their way of understanding or their course. You know, Proverbs 4.19 says, The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. That's true. But as all those in darkness without Christ, they shall come to the same end. They'll all be tangled in their sins. They'll all be drawn down because of their own iniquities. Well, with that thought in mind, notice verse 7. Here's true profession. It's reflected in the believer's walk. And the true believer will walk as to the pattern of all of God's children. The believer will walk, first of all, in newness of life, as Romans tells us. And we'll be anxious. Some people, when they're converted, are anxious to live the Christian life, and then they get discouraged and things start to go wrong. But most of us don't experience that so quickly. We walk in newness of life. The pattern says by faith and not by sight, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. We walk by faith and not by sight. Good thing. If we walk by sight, I'd be upset a good portion of the time. I think, well, look what's going to happen. What's going to take place here? What in the world will happen to these people here? I don't know what I'm going to do. And on and on and on it would go. The pattern also says that they will walk in spirituality, in consistency, and most of all, according to Ephesians 5, 2, in love. So we must. I want to walk in love, especially concerning you who the Lord's given me to pastor. Then I want to tell you that the walk of the believer is then marked by two things mentioned by John. A believer will have fellowship with other saints. Why? Because he is a member of God's family. Because he will desire that. And secondly, the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from sin. Now in verse 8, 9, and 10, before our time is completely gone, notice the light of truth. A blood-bought child of God knows that he not only was a hell-deserving sinner, but he still is a sinner. But he's saved by God's grace and Christ's substitution. And he will never know perfection until he reaches the other side. There will not be a complete change until he crosses over and has glorification with God. 
until that time comes, we here have the flesh, and we may not like it, and it does causes us to desire bad things, or we make the wrong choices and so on, but the flesh is here, but it can be controlled by the power of God. In verse 8, notice self-deception. It's practiced by many professing Christians. Some are religious people. John warns that the position of no sin in my life means no truth in my life because sin is universal and no one is free from it. Proverbs 20 and verse 9, who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Now I've had friends, too, who believe. In fact, one person told me they had not sinned for over 40 years. Not so. We can take things out of the Bible. Today, if I wanted to start a new movement, I could take things out of the Scripture and say, well, look at this. God says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. I want a brand new red Cadillac Seville four-door, and God's going to give it to me. Because he qualifies that in other places. He says, if we ask anything, according to his will. And there are other qualifications. We can't take one verse of Scripture and tear it out of the Scripture and say, now, this is what God said. That's the way it's going to be. We need to be consistent with the whole teaching of God's word from one end to the other. So we need to be careful when we interpret. Well, I don't like to interpret the scripture when we expound the scripture. Verse 9, God promises to always pardon if we recognize and confess our sins. It's simple. For salvation, no. Not the way man preaches it. But as to the uninterrupted fellowship and service with God, and who, who is like unto God? You know, there are so many scriptures. There's one that came to my mind this morning, and I, I marked it in the scripture so I could turn back to it. Micah 7 and verse 18. Who is like God unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, that passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, that retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy? Who's like God? Nobody. You remember they said, if, if, if you mark, transgressions but who would be saved God doesn't he's forgiven us those sins Christ has paid for our sins all of them past present and future but because we get pollutions because I get angry once in a while and because I say things I shouldn't or I think things I shouldn't or we we do things we should whatever it is there's the verse for us in first John 1 9 if we confess our sin he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin cleanse us from all unrighteousness so he has, so he does, so he will. Now notice John's warning in verse 10. God says we're sinners, and John warns us against ignoring sin because that produces two things. Number one, spiritual pride. We can get like the Pharisee. Pharisee over in Luke, I think it's the 18th chapter, somewhere around the 10th, 11th verse, someplace in there. He stood on the street corner and he said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, that I'm righteous. Got to watch that. It produces, secondly, hypocrisy, and that provokes God. Spiritual pride and hypocrisy both reflect spiritual destitution, which is the state of many believing they are in a right relationship with God. Now, as we come to a close this morning, I want to say this in conclusion. We, as children of light, are to reflect the light within us. We're like a mirror. As God shines into us and fills us, we are to reflect that in our life. That doesn't mean you're going to step outside and you're going to shine. People say, boy, look at that person. They're just like Moses. They're so shiny, I can't look at them. Lots of times we don't look like Christians. But God puts that within us and he uses it. And we come through.
the light and its truth are seen in our daily conduct. And all, although, as to salvation, our standing before God is clean and perfect by Christ's substitution, our actual condition and usefulness in our fellowship with God has to be interpreted because it can be marred or interrupted by the world and its pollutions and all the things that take place that way. It makes blots and sin upon our daily life in the flesh. So let's be careful to walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have sin and pollution in our life, then we need to confess that. We need to be cleansed from it. And we need to abandon it as we go through this life. Father, we commit this message into thy hands. Take the thoughts and the words in the scripture and do with it as is pleasing to thee. Lord, we would walk in the light even as you are in the light. We realize there is no light in us. We realize that in our flesh dwells no good thing. We must rely upon thy power and strength to live the lives that we live. Forgive us for our sins and shortcomings. Go with us and do with us, Heavenly Father, as it pleaseth thee, and we'll praise thee, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.